aired on Colin.com from That AI Show, a Saturday show on AI subject matter with conversation and the Unsanctioned Citizen podcast archives, as well as specific writings from yours truly. So go ahead, uh, get on board and promote. If you like the stuff that you're hearing and perceiving and reading, go ahead and try to get at least three to five friends or a hundred friends if you want to uh, buy in and subscribe. This is the month to do it. Time is ticking. Let's go. Out of Austin, Texas, you're listening to the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. Here's your host, Sheila Dean. Hello. So I'm just going to blast it out of here if I can. Just going to let you know that today is the first of the 100 days of programming on call-in. So I'm taking a 100-day broadcasting challenge where I'm going to going to do at least 30 minutes of programming daily, every single dang day. So yes, The Unsanctioned Citizen is going to be the focal show for 100 days of programming, and that's 100 days at call-in. It's going to be a marathon, but I'm going to do it so that I can stack the listenership. That's what, it, that's what is promised. If I do this, the promise is that I will not just be like really buff and ripped, like as far as being like a regular performer on Colin, um, but I will also have a lot of listeners. So let's see what happens. If I plug in like plug and play like at least thirty minutes of programming and then also take calls, that's what shall happen. So I'm gonna just post an update here send everyone there it is it's going out come to the show because we need a lot more listeners because everybody needs to be influential right everybody needs power especially you so let's get that out of there so tonight's reading for Unsanction Your Mind, which is still a continuing summer series, is going to be from the authoritarian moment written by Ben Shapiro. And this is how the left weaponized America's institutions against dissent. So it's an inter- interesting book because at some point, you know, they, they think it's you and you think it's them. Right now I'm going to read something from the perspective of the conservative clique that thinks that everything is attributed to the left. So that's not necessarily so um, in all cases. But it's important to get a balance of perspectives out there and then try to hear from as many people as we can about, you know, a rebuttal like you know maybe it's not that way okay well tell me why but it's this is important information to get in there and so this chapter in specific is called how science defeated actual science because there's been a couple of people in here that have kind of poo-pooed me 
uh, in a casual way and said, oh, well, you don't really know what you're talking about. The vaccines are absolutely safe at all times. And that's just not true. It's just not true. It has, it, it, if it was totally safe, then there would be zero vaccine injury. And there's always a margin of vaccine injury. And in some cases, it's also been misrepresented as a working vaccine. It doesn't necessarily prevent COVID. And so there's no, there's been zero redress of grievances over over the, the mandates and the recklessness that the way that they've handled things in terms of people's employment and their lives. You know, certain like vaccine discrimination that took place in the fall of 2021 was abhorrent, should never be allowed. And then, of course, this brush with vaccine passport, internal passport tyranny, um, you know, that's still more or less essentially going on in New York and in some cases uh, through Washington State. They've kind of relaxed it, but it was really, really something at that time. So, because they just they just wanted to control a lot, and you know the the virus had already been out there for over a year, and you know people weren't exactly dying or with Omicron, they were getting live immunity from the Omicron virus. But of course, immunity is not something that people actually focused on, which is terrible. That's something that was brought up on the unsanctioned citizen rather the sanctioned citizen when I was in Washington State, is that immunity wasn't the focus of this disease. Like immunological response or naturally generated immunological response wasn't a target or it, it, it was not a goal of some sort at all. And the reason I think for that is so that Pfizer and Moderna and all the vaccine manufacturers could do with exactly what they're doing right now booster 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 shot 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 and it's a corporate uh you know ever renewing subscription of of a battery of of medicine that you don't really need to take if you let your body just do it there's also been some you know a series of scientific corroborations that the vaccine will deprecate your natural immunological response to variants, subvariants, and, you know, the COV2 virus. Now, I am not saying that. Scientific researchers are saying that, okay? I'm not saying that because I want it to be true. Please, please believe me, I want it to be true. I'm saying that because there were some scientific people who work in immunology response disease. You know, this is what they did. They went to school for years for it. You know, I'm certainly not a, a scientist. I won't sit here and bill myself as a scientist, but those people, people in lab coats who squeeze sub subspecimens into mice and then cut them open and, and, and take blood samples, those people, not me, okay, they are the ones who came back with, with the reports on the immune response to the disease, and it was one nation, two nation, three nations, but no. No, it's all it's all spook theory. You're a conspiracy addict. Get out of here. And it's because they want you to buy this vaccine. Now, <clears throat> something quizzical happened. Uh, I asked someone on another program to explain to me kindly 
why was it that there was an absolute outcry for a vaccine mandate in China? You know, the place where authoritarian regimes are, just, that's just the way it is over there. Why would they, they go against a vaccine mandate? And it turns out that it is seen as a corporate profiteering instrument over there. And that is heresy. That is absolute. You, we cannot do that. That goes against our, our, our religion, our government religion. So we, can, we shall not do that. We shall not be forced to take corporatist science into our bodies because that's against our, that's against our religion. And I thought, wow, wow. So I guess there must be a grain or some kernel of truth to it because they certainly can force most people to do anything that they want over there. They, they certainly, they welded them into their apartments and, you know, they, they killed dogs in the street. And they did all this other stuff to, to make sure that they could control the population around COVID. Absolutely no COVID, the zero COVID policy. But there was an outcry about about the vaccine mandate, and that that did not go forward through their Politburo. And so I said, okay, there must be something to this. There must be something to the fact that uh, this is driven by Pfizer and Moderna corporations to get you to on the subscription-based system. That there must be something to it. So I'm going to read this chapter. This is how science defeated actual science. And see. 2020 was a banner year for science. In the midst of a global pandemic caused by a novel coronavirus, scientists in laboratories across the world stepped into the breach. They researched the most effective methods of slowing the virus's spread. They developed new therapeutics designed to reduce death rates and res researched new applications of already existing drugs. Most incredibly, they developed multiple vaccines for COVID-19 within mere months of its exponential spread across the West. Most of the West didn't shut down until March of 2020. By December, citizens were receiving their first doses of the vaccine, immunizing the most vulnerable and flattening the in infection curve. Remember when flatten the curve was a thing? <sighs> Meanwhile, in hospitals, doctors and nurses labored in perilous conditions to care for the waves of the sick. Physicians were called upon to be resourceful with limited resources. Nurses were called upon to be brave and to endanger themselves to treat others. As they learned more about the nature of the disease, those medical workers saved tens of thousands of lives. And the public took measures, too. Across the West, citizens socially distanced and masked up. They closed their businesses and took their children out of school and told their parents to stay home in order to protect others. The historic scourge of disease challenged humankind. Science emerged victorious, and yet, while laboratory scientists did unprecedented work creating solutions for an unprecedented problem, while doctors worked in dangerous conditions to preserve the lives of suffering patients, public health officials, the voices of the science, TM, the politically driven per perversion of actual science in the name of authoritarian leftism, proceeded to push politically radical ends, politicize actual scientific research, and undermine public trust in science itself. Unfortunately, because science is such an indispensable part of Western life, 
It is perhaps the only arena of political agreement left in our society, thanks to the fact that it is heretofore remained outside the realm of the political. It is too valuable a tool to be left unused by the authoritarian left. And so, the authoritarian left has substituted the science for science. The science TM for science. Science itself is a process of gathering knowledge through painstaking trial and error, through gradual development of a body of knowledge, through observation and data collection, through falsification. Science requires that we believe in objective truths about the world around us, and that we believe in our own capacity to explore the unknown to uncover those truths. Most of all, science provides the final word where it speaks. The science TM is a different story. The science amounts TM amounts to a call for silence, not investigation. When members of the new ruling class insist that we follow the science TM, they generally do not mean that we ought to acknowledge the reality of scientific findings. They mean that we ought to abide by the politicized interpretation of science, that we ought to mirror the preferred solutions, that we ought to look the other way when they ignore and twist science for their own ends. The science, TM, is never invoked in order to convince, it is invoked in order to cudgel. The science, TM, is, in short, politics dressed in a white coat. Treating science as politics undermines science. Treating politics as science costs lives. That's precisely what the authoritarian left does when it invokes the science, TM, to justify itself. We saw the science prevail over science itself repeatedly during the pandemic to ugly effect. Perhaps the most robust finding with regard to COVID, a finding replicated across the globe, was that large gatherings involving shouting and singing were inherently more dangerous than sparsely populated, socially distanced situations. The media quickly seized on the fact, for example, to chide anti-lockdown protesters for their irresponsibility, claiming that even outdoor protests could be unsafe. Meanwhile, in local officials, sorry, local officials in many areas went beyond the science itself, closing beaching, beaches, hiking trails, and even public parks, areas that were in no way chief vectors for transmission. Republicans who refused to close beaches in largely unaffected areas like Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida were heavily criticized, and all the pro-lockdown policy and rhetoric was justified with appeals to science. As it turned out, public health officials weren't concerned about science. They were merely using science as a tool to, to press for their preferred policies. They were, in, in short, more interested in the science than in science itself. And that became perfectly clear at the end of May. On May 25th, George Floyd, a 46-year-old black man, died in the custody of Minneapolis police. Floyd was a career criminal with a serious record, and the police were called because he had passed... Um, let's see here, let's get this... I think it's a stuck page. Passed... Whoop, whoop. <laughs> Hang in there, kids. It's a stuck page. Passed a counterfeit $20 bill while buying cigarettes. Oh, my God. His autopsy found that he had a fatal level of fentanyl in his system, which is bad. Selectively edited tape of Floyd on the ground for nearly nine minutes, saying he couldn't breathe as a police officer put his knee on the back of Floyd's neck. Went viral. The officer restraining Floyd was charged with second-degree murder. 
Floyd's death generated massive protests and riots around the country. Those protests and riots were driven by the false notion that police across the nation routinely murdered black men, an evidence-free untruth, according to Ben Shapiro, the author of this book. Led by the radical Black Lives Matter movement, these racial justice gatherings in the midst of a deadly pandemic were unprecedented in size and scale. According to polling, somewhere between 15 and 26 million people in the United States attended a protest. The protests were certainly not socially distanced. Some wore masks, but certainly many did not. Often the protests evolved into violence, including mass looting and property destruction. Uh, major cities across America were forced to declare curfew for the law-abiding. More often, the protests turned out into party-like atmospheres, including dancing and singing and shouting. And the same public health professionals who decried anti-lockdown protests, who urged Americans to do their part socially to distance, who cheered as businesses were told to close and schools to board up, ecstatically endorsed the mass gatherings. Apparently, the virus was, itself was woke, and it would kill Republicans who opposed economy-crippling lockdowns, but would pass over anyone chanting trite slogans about defunding the police. Politicians from the left, of devotees of wokeism, appeared in the midst of mass protests. Personally, Governor Gretchen Whitmer, a Democrat of Michigan, attended a civil rights march in Highland Park with hundreds of others standing shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder with some march participants. She did so just days after explaining that protests could, in fact, endanger lives. Even as the National Guard policed Los Angeles in the wake of widespread rioting and the law-abiding were confined to their homes, Mayor Eric Garcetti took a knee with Black Lives Matter crowd and pulled down his blue Los Angeles Dodgers face mask to speak. Speaking on CNN, New York Mayor Bill de Blasio openly stated that only BLM marches would be allowed in his city. This is a historic moment of change. We have to respect that, but also say to people the kinds of gatherings we're used to, the parades, the fairs, we just can't have that while we're focused on health right now. Leaving aside the First Amendment implications of such statements, none of this could be remotely justified by the science itself. But authoritarian leftist politicians could count on members of the public health establishment to back their play, manufacturing anti-scientific narratives in the name of science. More than 1,000 than 1, public health specialists signed an open letter supporting the largest protest in American history in the middle of a global pandemic, claiming that such protests were quote, vital to the national public health, and adding, this should not be confused with a permissive stance on all gatherings, particularly protests against stay-at-home orders. Infectious disease expert Ranu Dillon of Harvard Medical School told the New York Times, protesting against systemic injustice that is contributing directly to this pandemic is essential. The right to live, the right to breathe, the right to walk down the street without police coming at you for no reason, that's different from me wanting to go to my place of worship on the weekend, me wanting to take my kid on a roller coaster, me wanting to go to brunch with my friends. The social science simply does not support the contention that the police are writ large targeting Americans of color based on racial animus. 
But even if such a wild accusation could be sustained, it is absolutely absurd to suggest that mass protests over such a systemic issue, pro protests capable of spreading highly transmissible deadly disease, represent a net positive for public health. Yet precisely that contention became commonplace in the world of the science TM. Julian Marcus, epidemiologist at Harvard Medical School, and Greg Gonsalves, epidemiologist at Yale School of Public Health, penned an article at The Atlantic claiming, public health experts are weighing these same risks at a population level. <coughs> and many have come to the conclusion that health, <coughs> sorry, excuse me, health implications of maintaining the status quo of white supremacy are too great to ignore, even with the potential for an increase in coronavirus transmission from the protest. The University of California, San Francisco Hospital gave doctors of color a day off after Floyd's death. Many of those doctors joined the protest. One, Mara Jones explained, I would argue, yeah, I'm a doctor, and I encourage you to social distance, and I care about coronavirus, and I know that it's a real threat, but racism is, to me, my family, the bigger threat right now, and it has been for hundreds of years. And this is Dr. Jasmine Johnson, who joined a protest by the University of North Carolina Student National Medical Association with a sign reading, Racism is a Pandemic too." She claimed that racism was the root cause of racial disparities in death statistics from COVID and therefore suggested that protest was actually a public health good. Ashish Jaha, dean of the Brown University School of Public Health, made the most insane case of all that the protest would fuel COVID spread, but this didn't matter. Do I worry that mass protests will fuel more cases? Yes, I do. But a dam broke. There's no stopping that, he stated. Based on the science, TM, liberal figures in government began promoting declarations that racism represented a public health crisis. Hmm. The science said that gathering in large numbers was a bad idea. To that end, thousands of Americans watched from afar as parents, brothers, sisters, and family and friends died alone in hospitals. Funerals were held by Zoom. Businesses shut by the hundreds of thousands. The Science TM said that health concerns were secondary and political concerns were primary. And then our scientific establishment wonders why America has trust issues. As it turned out, we may never know whether mass protests spread COVID. We do know that the summer saw radical increases in viral transmission, increases that the media quickly chalked up to Memorial Day gatherings, which occurred the same week protests broke out. But cities like New York actually told their contract contact tracers not to ask whether those diagnosed with COVID had attended a protest. The public health community's willingness to extend its area of supposed expertise to problems of alleged racial injustice highlights one very serious problem for the scientific establishment. The ultra-crepidarian problem. Ultra-crepidarianism is weighing in on matters outside one's area of expertise or pretending that 
one's area of expertise extends to questions in different subject areas. Suffice it to say, our public health experts, the doctors who weigh in on the political matter of policing and race relations, are certainly operating in uncharted waters for them. Simply slapping the label science on a political opinion does not make that opinion scientific any more than calling a man a woman makes that man a biological woman, according to Ben Shapiro, the writer of this book. The ultra-crepidarian problem extends the reach of science into areas of pseudoscience, claiming the mantle of the objective and verifiable on behalf of subjective conjecture. There is a second related, perhaps even more serious problem for scientific institutions in the United States. However, what we can call the bleed-over effect, whereas the ultra-crepidarian problem comes from the scientific community's speaking outside its area of expertise. The bleed-over effect occurs when outside political viewpoints bleed over in, into scientific institutions themselves. This predictably restricts the actual reach of science, supplanting anti-scientific ruling ideologies for scientific inquiry. Take another example from the world of COVID policy, the decision-making surrounding vaccine distribution. Now, this would seem to be a simple scientific question. Who is most vulnerable to COVID? The most vulnerable obviously ought to be given the COVID vaccine first. And as it turns out, the question has an obvious answer. The elderly, who are most susceptible to multiple pre-existing conditions. COVID risk is heavily striated by age, According to the Center for Disease Control, the death rate of COVID for those above the age of 85 is 630 times the death rate for those between the ages of 18 and 29. For those between 75 and 84, the death rate is 220 times higher. For those between 65 and 74, the death rate is 90 times higher. So it should have been an easy call for the Center's for disease control to set out a vaccine distribution guidelines based on age. That, however, was not what happened. Instead, wokeism bled into the scientific process, turning science into the science TM. On November 23, 2020, CDC public health official Kathleen Dooling presented her recommendations for tranching out the vaccine to the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices. Dooling explained that essential workers, some 87 million, should receive the vaccine before the elderly. Yes, Dooling's modeling acknowledged this would increase the number of deaths somewhere between 0.5% and 6.5%, but such differences were minimal. Dooling stated that when compared to the fact that racial equity could be pursued through her recommended policy, after all, Dooling pointed out, racial and ethnic minority groups are underrepresented among adults under 65 because white people have a longer life expectancy than black and Hispanic Americans dueling was arguing that too many old white people too many old white people so why not prioritize younger black and Hispanic people at lower risk of dying from the disease as a sort of reparative measure this proposal was not merely morally idiotic it was evil Statistically speaking, even if white people are overrepresented as a percentage of population among those over 65, placing that group after essential workers would kill more black people. 
It would trench black Americans more likely to die, those over age 65 behind black Americans who were less likely to, to die, 20-year-old grocery store workers, for example. Thus, even if fewer black Americans would die as a percentage, more black Americans would die in absolute numbers. This perspective was not fringe. It was well-respected and well-reported. On December 5th, the New York Times reported that the committee had unanimously supported Dueling's proposal. At least 18 states had decided to take into account the CDC's Social Vulnerability Index in tranching out the vaccines. As the Times acknowledged, historically the committee relied on scientific evidence to inform its decisions, but now the, the members were weighing social justice concerns as well, noted Lisa A. Prosser, the professor of health policy and decision sciences at the University of Michigan. The Times quoted one Harald Schmidt, an alleged expert in ethics and health policy at the University of Pennsylvania, expressing himself in blatantly eugenic terms. Wow. Older populations are wider. Society is structured in a way that enables them to live longer. Instead of giving additional health benefits to those who already had more of them, we can start to level the playing field a bit. All it would take is to, to level that playing field was to bury some disproportionately white bodies in the low-lying areas. Public blowback to the CDC's standards led them to revise, but only somewhat. After medical workers were treated, the CDC recommended that the elderly and frontline workers be placed in the same tranche. This approach, too, will cost lives, as Yasha Mung a liberal thinker who often writes for The Atlantic points out America's botched guidance on who gets the vaccine first should, once and for all, put the idea that the excesses of wokeness are a small problem that doesn't affect important decisions to bed. Furthermore, as Monk pointed out, the Times, which was so eager to cheer on the infusion of wokeism into scientific standards, barely reported that the committee had changed its recommendations based on public pressure. A faithful reader of the newspaper of record would not even know that an important public body was, until it received massive criticism from the public, about to sacrifice thousands of American lives on the altar of a dangerous and deeply illiberal ideology, Monk wrote. When science becomes the science, TM, Americans rightly begin to doubt their scientific institutions. They begin to believe correctly that the institutions of science have been hijacked by authoritarian leftists seeking to use white coats to cram down their viewpoints in a top-down fashion. So that's 29 and some change. All right, so I'm going to open the phone to anyone who would like to call because it's Colin. <sighs> and... This is part of the 100 days of programming, so it includes people who will call in. So if anybody, I'll do uh, a three-part call-out going once, going twice. Okay, that's, this is the third call. Nobody wants to talk? Great. Okay, so that's, that is chapter four of How Science TM Defeated Actual Science. So we'll return tomorrow with an actual produced episode. Yeah, we're going to kind of hybrid it out. I'm going to do an actual show where I'm, like, reading news and bringing you, you know, 
cut tape and sound bites and stuff like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then that will help um, shape our discussion. I'm going to try to keep it to one topic instead of like a smattering of different topics. So, <clears throat> so we'll, we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining Unsanctioned Your Mind, the summer reading series. Uh, and the 100 days of programming at the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. Thanks for listening. Before you go, hit the subscribe button. Remember that callers are welcome. Subscribers can access Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast archives at Substack, Automatic, iHeartRadio Podcasts, and Call-In. Please stay in touch. We want to hear from you. Visit SheilaMDean.com.